0: The following podcast is recorded and produced by the podcast precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The podcast precinct, consistency, creativity, culture. Support from this podcast comes from our friends over at wicked memories. Ladies, Do you like candles? Do you not like buying them at ridiculous prices? Guys, are you sick of your apartment and your room smelling like feet all the time and want it to be a little bit more presentable for when your parents or ladies come over? This place has it all. 408 Oliver Street in North Tonawanda. Guys, I went to view their products. It's a combination of two stores, Melting Memories After Dark and Wickedly Handcrafted, and their products Oh, my God. They're so good. Um, They're Taste the Rainbow Artisan soap I've been using at my house. And some of the candles that they give smell so much like the actual product. Their honeysuckle one is delicious so go check them out they have in-store deals every saturday that you can only take advantage of there mention my name over there as well and they'll be able to give some more support to this podcast and who knows they might even throw you a discount or two just mention me wink wink check them out 408 oliver street in north Tonawanda, new york you can also view their website and on their facebook page has the link to Everything you could possibly need. Again, that is Wicked Memories, which is a combination of Melting Memories After Dark and Wickedly Handcrafted, 408 Oliver Street, North Tonawanda. Make your life smell nice. Welcome to episode 19 of Your Average Ordinary. I'm your host, Dan Torres. How are you guys doing this week? I'm doing pretty good myself. This is your mental health checkpoint. Make sure that you are taking care of yourself and taking care of your mental health every day and taking deep breaths in and out because our breath is truly the way that we regulate ourselves and things. I haven't been breathing too much lately. I've been kind of uh, very in an almost panicky state, I can almost say, just because I feel like I've been really busy. I'm almost in like a fight or flight all the time uh, as of late. So make sure you're just taking that time for yourself to check in and make sure that you're doing okay because you need you before anything else. So... Make sure that that's all staying A-OK. I'm by myself this week, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I needed a week um, just to kind of regroup. I'm in Shakespeare in Delaware Park right now, and we are being very, 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 very uh, fortunate and successful in the results we've had with it. The groups we've had so far have been really great. Uh, There's been a lot of really great feedback for the show and for the tour, and our touring show is about to do the same thing. Shout out Ricky Needham and Dan Ertz, friends of the show, who are both involved in that. Um, But it's left me uh, kind of putting things to the side, including uh, this podcast, to be totally honest. Uh, I haven't been putting as much into it as I normally do lately, and that's on me, and I apologize to all you guys for that too because you guys deserve to have some really, really fun guests, which we've had, but uh, we, we will continue to have that, and in the coming weeks, there's going to be um, some really, really, really fun stuff coming, which I'll preview today, Um, but that's the first reason for not having a guest on today. The second reason is... Fridays are my normal recording days, and I am here. It is Friday right now, and this Friday in particular is a very special one. It is Juliana's 25th birthday, um, so happy birthday, Juliana, uh, but I did take the day off work to go spend it with her, so I am actually kind of out of my element right now. Normally on a Friday, I come in, it's Friday night, I'm starting my weekend, and i uh, This podcast is the way to kick it off for me, but right now it is seven fifty-eight in the morning. Right now, so it's not even eight o'clock. So I am up early this morning. I have replaced my trulies with coffee, and um, I have my water, so I am staying hydrated. But this week it's just going to be me, and because it was just me, I wanted to take a little bit to uh, talk about a few things that. I have been wanting to kind of try out and preview on this podcast. So today is going to be a little bit of an MMA show. Uh, I have talked about it in the past, wanting to do that on a separate pa- a podcast and, you know, see where that would go. Uh, I would love to have a co-host for that. That's the big thing that's holding me back right now is... It's better for me to have someone to kind of bounce ideas and bounce things off of, especially with sport like that, which you really do kind of have to watch and really pay attention to, to be really, really involved. in. it's not like, you know, the NBA finals where you can jump in and out. The Championship fights are like that for sure. But I'm going to spend a little bit of today talking about that, and then the rest of the time I'm just going to um, – Kind of give updates for the week and things like that, and just you know monologue a little bit. I hate the sound of my own voice. I've said it constantly on this show, um. So when I listen to this one back, I'll probably I'll probably be cringing all the way through, especially if I keep stuttering like this. This is the problem with eight in the morning because you barely have time to wake up. I woke up, rolled out of bed, and thought I'm just gonna go to the studio and talk to you guys for a little bit, um. Partially to motivate myself to have a really good show but you know it's better to be up and get your day started um Shout out to BICBP-radio.net. That's our network. We have some incredible shows on there, guys, and we're only getting bigger. Shout out to my cousin, Tyler Brown, who is a friend of the show and a former guest who is doing his own show called Noise Candy now. Um, That comes out every Saturday just like um, YAO does. But they talk hip-hop, and uh, him and a couple of his friends go over the new music of the week. Um, I'm learning a lot from it and finding new hip-hop tracks to bump in my car every week to work or, you know, to shows or working out or anything like that. Um, But he's been killing it with that, and his show's really, really great, and they, they talk a lot of really cool insight and shout out to my boy Tyler Body, who um, also has Anime Made Me Do It. He will be on this show at some point, um, but he's killing it with that as well. If you're into anime, they talk some really, really great stuff. We're hoping to do uh, a collab with some certain ones in the future. So I'm looking forward to talking about that and having good times on the show with him. He'll be on here as well. So the big things I want to get to today. Right now, it is Friday, July 9th. Tomorrow, July 10th, is the biggest UFC event of the year, which is UFC 264, Poirier versus McGregor 3. I thought I was so set in my ways for this main event, uh, but now I'm going back and forth on it all week after seeing certain things, um, the weigh-ins are today. So I'm going to be paying attention to those, um, in great detail, but so far with the press conferences and things like that, I've, I've seen certain things between each of them and I've been going back and forth going, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And, um, one thing's for sure is it's going to be a really interesting one. And, uh, I'm very excited to watch. I'm very excited to um, see how some of these fights on the undercard play out too because there's a really, really stacked undercard for this one. So let's just dive right in. So I'm going to start with a fight... uh, on the early prelims, the, the headliner for that is Jennifer Maya and Jessica I. Both of them are former challengers for the women's flyweight title, which if you're not familiar with the UFC, um the women's flyweight division is ruled by Valentina Shevchenko, who's an absolute assassin. Um she her only two losses in the UFC are to Amanda Nunes, if I'm not mistaken. Um and both of them were very, very close fights. I remember watching the first one and I believe one UFC one ninety three or around there. And that fight was close and then uh their title fight went all five rounds and it a lot of people go back and forth on if Valentina won or not. The the point I'm trying to make here um is that Amanda Nunes is the best female uh fighter in the UFC bar none. But Valentina goes toe-to-toe with her. So I don't think anybody is going to be touching that throne for a while. But these are two um, really, really great challengers to her title and two really, really sta- good staples for the division as well. Um, you have Jennifer, Maya, and Jessica. I I believe Maya takes this one. Um, I think her submission game is really, really good. And I don't think jessica is going to have the tools necessary necessarily to defend it jessica I is one of those ones that's a, a little hard for me to pick in a fight because she'll look really really good for a while and then there are tons of fights that you kind of expect her to win that she doesn't um but she's on a two fight skid right now as well she her last two losses were to joanne calderwood and um cynthia calvillo so I'm going to take Maya in this one pretty pretty convincingly, actually. Uh, Jennifer Maya is, like I said, very credentialed in her uh, submission skills. She's won by knockout. She has four wins by knockout, so that's not an unfamiliar thing to her. Um, you know, she's, she's three and two in her last five, so I'm just going to take her in that. Um, but it should be a good fight. Uh, that's that's a really, really great fight for that division, actually, and I think it's going to shape some things out. Um, Ryan Hall and Ilya Taporia. <sighs> I want to see Ryan Hall win this one so bad because of his um, submission set and the circumstances he's had to deal with in the past few years just with fights being canceled and injuries and you know, COVID setting everything back. I think he really, really would benefit from a win here. Do I think he's going to get it necessarily? I don't think so. I think, uh, Ilya Taporia is really well-rounded. I think that, uh, he's finally getting kind of the respect he deserves in this fight with the betting lines and he, you know, he's 10 and 0, he's undefeated, um, I think Taporia is going to take this one. Would I be surprised uh, if Ryan Hall took this? Absolutely not. I think he's been working. I think he's very well, well-rounded. The Darren Elkins fight, which was his last fight uh, in the UFC, spoke a lot to me about his stand-up and the fact that so many people think he's just a submission fighter, but um, Darren Elkins is a killer on the feet, and Ryan Hall just outworked him, man. He, he just... It, it was really a thing of beauty to watch. Um, but I think Taporia is going to take this one. Um, he's been killing it in the division all year. He's been active. I think activity is a big part of it. Um, I know people like Ryan Hall and Dominic Cruz like to say that ring rust, so to speak, isn't a real thing. I think it is. I, I, I can't really see claim to why it wouldn't be a thing. I think... I think a lot of it is a mindset for sure. And I think that um, there are definitely people who can handle being away for a while and come back. I think Ryan Hall is one of those people. He's had a lot of setbacks in between. But it, it's not helpful. I mean, when you look at guys like Israel Israel Adesanya, who I'm biased, but he's fought how many times in the past two or three years, and the experience he's gotten from it is exponential at this point. Um, yeah, he's only been in the company for three years now, and he has over 10 fights. So, you know, it, there's definitely a benefit to it. There's a benefit from facing opponents that bring a skill set a – I cannot speak this week. My God, I apologize, people – a skill set that uh, you bring to the table – that you may not get in your gym or your own area, that you just have to face in the octagon for the first time. That can be a jarring thing. So we'll see. I'm really pulling for Ryan Hall in this one, but I think Taporia takes it. Um, the next fight up on the card in the prelims is... going <laughs> could absolutely be a barn burner of the fight. This could have Fight of the Night written all over it if um, Dustin and Connor don't seal the show. But Nico Price and Michelle Pereira... Um, these two are both so uh unique in their styles and um they they really can put on a show with this one. Um Nico's the kind of guy that will just move forward and get hit just for the thrill of the fight just to touch you. Um he has some of the craziest knockouts I've ever seen. That knockout of Randy Brown where he hit him off his back. Oh, the James Vick ankle to the face! That 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 was bad. If you haven't seen that, uh, when Nico Price fought James Vick, he caught him with an up kick, and the heel of his foot just—you the sound it made on James Vick's chin—it just put him out right away. Ugh! Why do I like this sport again? (laughs) Um, but I think that um, Parreira has the skills to take this one. Um. Nico's kind of a guy who flip-flops in his fight, so he'll have a really good one, and then, you know, he loses a couple in a row, and then he comes back really strong, and uh, he loses. I believe his last fight was to uh, Cowboy Cerrone, which he should have won that fight, but uh, he—it was—well, there was the eye pokes um, cause he was deducted a point for eye poking cowboy a couple of times. Uh, so the point deduction made it, uh, it turned it into a draw a majority draw, but then it got overturned, um, because of a THC, uh, positive, uh, test, which Nevada just this week actually, um, said that they'd only be testing the day of the fight now. Um, for THC or marijuana traces and I think that's I, I just think that's such a good decision on their part because they waste so much time and money going after this and in the day and age we're in I know federally it's still a, a thing to go against it but if people want to live that as their lifestyle they shouldn't be penalized for it especially when heroin and things are running rampant in this country and the the pharmaceutical things are what we need to get rid of the most. So if we could avoid anything like that with the pharmaceutical use, usually I lean towards it a little bit. Um, but I am taking Pereira in this fight. Um, Pereira just has such a unique style. Um, that the capoeira style that he brings makes him very hard to read for opponents. Uh, he's... Two, he's two in no, he's three and two in his last five. But the Diego Sanchez loss was for a um in a legal knee, and he was winning the fight all the way up until that. It's almost like a Piotr Jan situation. I'm sorry, Jermaine. I love you, man, but yeah, um. So he should have won that fight, and then the Tristan Connolly fight. Uh, I know he gassed very, very quickly. He had missed weight for that fight too, which is always a no-no. Um, But Tristan Connolly brought something to the table that he couldn't handle that night. Shout out Tristan Connolly. He's an absolute legend taking that fight on short notice and bringing it to him like that. Um, But I do think Pereira takes it this weekend. I'll even say he takes it inside the distance. I don't think the fight goes the distance either way. But that should be a really, really entertaining one. They're just going to have a barn burner going back and forth. Um, That brings us to the uh, main event of the preliminary card, which you can watch on ESPN or ESPN Plus if you subscribe. Um, That is Carlos Condit and Max Griffin. Carlos Condit, who's the former um, interim welterweight champion. Absolute killer. Um, Moving to kind of the later stages of his career at this point, Um, he recently, last October, had broke a skid where he hadn't gotten a win since um may of 2015 he finally broke that uh with his win against court mcgee which was a great fight um he touched up court mcgee a lot in that fight too and um really showed him uh a lot of his well-roundedness that he's still developing and still pushing really really showing people that he can still be formidable in this day and age too which is uh so important for veterans like that he's had I can't. I don't even know how many UFC fights at this point, but he's been through it all. Um, he had a fight of the year with Robbie Lawler. uh his fight against Nick Diaz, where he took the interim belt. He fought GSP. He even hurt GSP at points in that fight. It was. It's a very interesting fight to go back and watch now in hindsight with everything. Um, so he snapped that skid with Court McGee. Uh, in October of last year, and then he beat Matt Brown this past January um, on the Max Holloway and Calvin Cater card at, to begin the year. Um, do I think he has the skills to beat Max Griffin, who is his opponent in this fight? I don't know. Um, Griffin is always working and getting better. His last fight, where he knocked out uh, Song Kanan, came out two minutes into the first round, and uh, it was it was a pretty, pretty, pretty stunning thing that I did not expect for that fight either. Um, again, he's one of those guys that kind of flip-flops. He loses a lot of decisions. I think if he keeps it away from a decision fight and he just finishes fights, kind of keeps the Masvidal um, mindset in that, I think he has a good chance in this fight. I think he has more of a chance in this fight if he does that. I do think he wins it if it goes to the decision if um Condit doesn't show even more things that he's worked on in the gym. I talked about his well roundedness um and he, I, I i will stand by that, but against a guy like Max Griffin, who's just getting better and better and um learning from each of his fights and again has been active in the past couple of years against absolute killers, um even though Condit has to but He's, he's been losing a lot of those fights, which hasn't benefited him at all. Um, so I'll take Griffin. I think Condit's a good underdog play if there are betting people out there and you're listening on a Saturday morning and really eager to listen to my voice um, this weekend. But um, I do think Griffin takes this, but keep an eye on Carlos Condit. All right, main card time. So there was a shakeup this week with this first fight. Um, Either way, I'm very excited to see it. So you have the Bantamweight prospect, Sean O'Malley, um, facing Chris Mutino, Mutinho, I think, Mutino, Mutinho, something like that. Um, This fight came about on short notice this week. Uh, Louis Smolka, who is normally in the flyweight division. Or, no, he's not. He's been in Bantamweight for a while. It's, it's still early morning, Brain Dan. Um, but Sean O'Malley was supposed to fight Louis Smolka, who's an absolute killer. And Smolka, I believe, has staff. So um, he had to pull out just a few days ago. Um, So Chris Moutinho is stepping in on short notice. I keep saying his name like he's Latino or something, but I th- I think he's the furthest thing from it. Um he's an absolute killer from what I've heard. Um this is his first fight in the UFC right now. Honestly, I think all the money's on Sean O'Malley here. Um he's just such a killer and he his style is so hard to deal with and unpredictable even on a full camp that coming in on a few days notice against Sean O'Malley isn't going to benefit anybody. I wish that Ricky Simon could have or Simone could have made uh wait for this fight. He had thrown his name into the ring for taking this fight, but for some reason it didn't pan out. It, like he couldn't make the weight if it was bantamweight and O'Malley didn't want to do it at featherweight and uh, it, however it worked out, it uh it's just it's kind of a shame that it couldn't have been someone who's closer to the top fifteen for O'Malley because I think he deserves that at this point. Um, however, he's I think he takes this one and he takes this one pretty easily. Um, Mutino's record is a nine and four. Uh I know he's flip flopped a few in his in his last couple. He yeah, he's three and two in his last five. It seems to be a theme with this card, um, and not that he's been fighting scrubs at all. You know, he's he's been fighting for Cage Fury and being really successful in it. But it's it's a whole different ball game when you get up to the UFC. You're starting to face guys who are absolute killers and who have uh Really, work themselves out so that they're so well rounded in this game. There are so many guys in the UFC that are so talented, but barely even break the top fifteen. Mike Perry's one of those guys. He's only been ranked like once or twice, and it was it was very uh shallow in the rankings. I remember he was at fifteen or so and then he got the Ponzinibbio fight, and he lost that kind of dominantly and then you know, you slide back from that and Lately, his career tra- trajectory, too, has been uh, less than favorable for him. Um, so I think O'Malley takes this. I think he finishes it. I, I don't see a lot of benefit for him in this fight, if we're being very honest. If he if he KOs this guy, then everybody's going to be like, well, he should have KO'd him. That's his job. He should have... Uh, taken this fight on short notice and he's so much more prepared than the guy and blah, blah, blah. But we've also seen cases in the past where that hasn't exactly panned out. So if he loses this fight too, that's a huge risk he takes in this, where he gets hit with a shot that he doesn't see or something like that and goes down and all of a sudden he's lost to a guy he picked up on a few days' notice that, you know, it was his debut fight in the UFC. Um but I do think, uh, I think O'Malley will come away with this one. I hope it's a quick turnaround for him, and after this he can get a ranked opponent or someone more on his uh, skill set that he can go toe-to-toe with, because I'm dying to see that. Um, his last fight with Thomas Almeida was really uh, promising for that, and it showed a little bit more back and forth. But even in the Cheeto Vera fight, which he lost, there wasn't a lot that you could see from it um, that showed whether he was at a top level or whether he would go skill to skill. I go back to Adesanya, but that that fight with Calvin Gastelum got so much respect for him from some people because of the fact that he dug deep and you were able to see him in all five rounds and see him go into that dark place and get it and we had seen him go five rounds before against Brett Tavares but that was different because he he dominated it the whole time it was it was very one-sided for that fight but Gastelum hurt him and Gastelum had him in trouble at at, at a lot of times and um Israel grew from that and I think O'Malley would benefit from wars like that with people. Um, even guys like Marab Devlashvili, um, who I know has been calling him out for a very long time. Marab's style is very wrestling based, and I'd I'd be very curious to see how O'Malley would deal with a guy who just comes forward and will get his hands on you and um that, I, I think that would be a hard fight for him because you know Marab's going to take him down at least once. Merab averages an insane amount of takedowns in every one of his fights. So there's no reason to think that that fight wouldn't go to the ground. So, um, but marab has got work to do against uh, Marlon Morais, who's uh, a killer, and that's going to be a great fight. Um, all right, next fight up on the card. So we have uh, Irene Aldana versus Yanaku Initskaya. Um, both of these women are White killers. They are uh, very very credentialed, and have been doing some great great work. Um, I got the chance to see Ariana Aldana fight live at UFC 210 when UFC was in Buffalo. Um, shout out to Daniel Cormier and Rumble who main evented that card, and it was a very very fun card. Uh, shout out the All Done Club—that's what I'll call it. Um, All the Browns and Mang family who went that night. It was an absolute blast. Um, This one has been one of the harder ones to call for me in thinking about this card. Because they're both in very similar positions and um, have had some key losses. Um, Irene Aldana just lost one uh, recently to Holly Holm. That was her last fight. And I think everybody... I think that was... Partially, everybody underestimating Holly Holm, too, because I think it's easy to forget what she's done because of her failed title attempts at this point. She's challenged for the title so many times and has just come up short in a couple of them. That Jermaine Durandamy fight shouldn't even count for her at this point, honestly, but um, here we are, and she got that great win, last October against uh, Irina Aldana, and Aldana has to come back strong in this fight. She's facing Kunitskayo, who's on a two-fight win streak right now. (sighs) Right now, I will say Aldana. I think Aldana has some of the best boxing in that division, and I think that the fight is going to remain standing and that Yana um, won't be able to deal with that pressure. I think... um, She's been put in positions often where she can be backed up. Um, you saw that against Aspen Ladd and Aspen Ladd coming forward and getting the finish in that fight because she she blitzed and came forward. So Giannis is susceptible um, to that. We saw her first fight in the UFC was against Chris Cyborg, who Chris Cyborg is going to do nothing but bring pressure and come forward. And um that wasn't super successful for her. So I think Aldana takes it. I'll even say Aldana inside the distance. I think she will get the TKO here. Um, but that's an interesting one for sure. That really jumped off the card for me when I saw it. Um halfway to the main event at this point, we have at heavyweight, we have the big boys, uh tied to Ivasa, uh, the Shui Master taking on Greg, the Prince of War, Hardy. Um you, Greg Hardy has been, you know, he's had a shadowed past that we've seen between the NFL and the UFC. He's been very uh, back and forth in whether the fans are with him or against him. I'm one of those people. Um, I just wish at this point that he would get more credentialed people. Um, all the people that he's faced have been like one and dones where they've come in and fought him and left the UFC. Uh, he's been surrounded in controversy with that Alan Crowder knee where he was winning and then he threw that illegal shot. That was his first fight in the UFC. And then you have him facing bums for a little bit. And then you had that fight in Boston where he uh, asked for his inhaler between rounds, which you can't do in that whole inhaler gate thing. And then the last fight he had against Marcin Tabora, I actually picked him for that fight. And thought that he would be able to outlast Tibora, especially because um, Hardy went a hard three rounds with um, Alexander Volkov, who's no scrub, and we've seen that. Uh, but then Tabora finished him because it seemed like Hardy gassed relatively easy. Um, meanwhile, you have Tai Tuivasa, who is on his second stint in the UFC now. He had been cut. He started out... I believe 9-0 and in the UFC. Yeah, 9-0 and in the UFC. And then he was uh, cut after three in a row. Uh, he had dropped one to his first loss in the UFC. His first loss in general in mixed martial arts was to Junior Dos Santos, which no shame in losing there. That's a former champ. Um, and he was TKO'd in that. And then you had Bulgoy Ivanov, who um, took him to decision and beat him there. And Sergei Spivak, who submitted him um, in Melbourne, which was, I know, a hard one to swallow for him because it was in his, uh, his home uh, continent of Australia. And that was big for him. So he took some time off. He developed. He's been training with um, AKA now, uh, which is DC's camp and... Uh Habib and Kane Velasquez are over there now too. Um they've always been over there. Um Rockhold, I believe, still does work in that gym and does some really great work. Um and now he's back. He's had two he's on a two-fight win streak. Uh, first against Stefan Struve and then Harry Hansucker, who Hansucker, I believe, s- stepped in on short notice uh for someone. I think that he was who is he expected to face in that one I believe he was supposed to face someone else and then uh Hansucker jumped in on short notice and uh Tai Tuivasa got it done very quickly uh Dante uh, Dontel Mays, that's who it was that's who it was so he was he was pulled for undisclosed reasons I can't remember why uh and Hansucker came in and Tuivasa took him out in about 49 seconds um this is a hard one for me, because I think that Hardy has done some really, really great work in the past five years, or not in the past five years, in the past few years. What is going on with my brain today, people? If you're still listening, good on you, because you're you're really a trooper, and you really subscribe to this podcast. Um, but Hardy has put in some work these past few years, and um, he's been training with uh, Dean Thomas, who's... A very, very credentialed uh, coach and a former fighter. But I don't think he still has the skill set like Vasa has to really get that done and get one on him. I think someone, Ian Parker, um, who's a regular on PFL and also a regular on uh, John Anik and, and Kenny Florian's podcast made this great point the other day where he said that Tuivasa can take Hardy shots and still be like, okay, like he'll still be on his feet. If Tuivasa lands his best shot on Hardy, Hardy's not taking it. Um, So I think Tuivasa gets it done. I think he gets it uh, done in round one. I think this is going to be a pretty easy fight for him, so to speak. But I just think that's the difference here is I don't think Hardy's going to touch him with anything that's going to put him out. Um, JDS was different when Tuivasa fought him because JDS is an absolute killer. He knocked out Cain Velasquez. He knocked out Mark Hunt. um, He's knocked out uh, Derek Lewis. He's knocked out tons tons and tons of people through his UFC stint, and um, I just don't think that that Hardy's just going to be able to handle what Tuivasa brings to that fight, but we'll see. If Hardy wins this one, that's going to be a big, big feather in his cap, and I'm almost pulling for him to kind of pull the upset in this one, but again, we'll see. It's mixed martial arts, so anything can happen with that, but... I think that Tuivasa has a better chance of getting it done. All right, we're up to the co-main event of the evening. This one jumps off the card um, more than any other fight does for me in this. You have uh, De- Gilbert Doreno Burns at welterweight taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. You have two of the best guys in the world uh, squaring off in this one. And this could very well be an eliminator. It'll definitely uh, be something if Thompson wins this fight. Because I think Thompson, if Kamaru keeps the belt, is the only style that really, really, really uh, can give him problems at this point. And I've heard a lot of people say that. Um, But... You know, at this point, I don't know, because Kamaru Usman is just so dominant in that. But you have the number two, Gilbert Burns, facing off against the number four, Stephen Thompson. Um, Two very different styles in this one. So you have the karate style that Stephen Thompson brings to the table. And then um, Burns is very much a submission style. But we've also seen him knocking people out more and more and more through his uh, whole career. You know, he's training with Duke Rufus, and that's... Uh, and an amazing camp up there. Um, Or not Duke Rufus. Duke Rufus? Duke Rufus. Duke Rufus. I'm going to say that with confidence that he's training with um, Duke Rufus right now out of their gym. But I may correct myself later in this. Um, But we've seen him uh, throw the hands more and more and more and more uh, in these past few fights. Um, Do I think he can stand with Wonder Boy? No, I, I, I don't believe he does. I don't believe he stands with Wonder Boy in this fight. I think his best chance is to take it to the ground, but I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. Henry Hoofed. Henry Hoofed. Not Duke Rufus. Ah, oh, I'm terrible. Henry Hoofed. Um, so they, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm so, 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 so torn with this fight. Because if Burns gets it to the ground, I think he's going to submit him. I think there's no way he doesn't. We've seen Thompson survive submissions uh, situations before, in particular, the first time he fought Tyron Woodley when Woodley had him in a guillotine and he just kind of sat through it. Um, and that that was a crazy thing. But Burns can get you from anywhere. We've seen that in the past. He's, he's a jujitsu champion. Um, but i don't think it goes to the ground i don't think that that's where this fight is heading i don't think that um wonderboy is any scrub when it comes to like takedown defense or anything like that i think i think he will uh be able to outlast that um i don't think it gets done inside the distance i think thompson takes it by decision but this is going to be a very interesting fight. I don't think Burns is out of that fight by any means. I think that maybe he could catch him with a good shot too. Um, you know, he has six wins by knockout. Um, so we'll see. But I think I think it'll be very important um, for the division to see what happens with this fight. Because if Burns wins, I think that puts him in a position where he could get another crack at the title with one more win. Uh, maybe against a Jorge Masvidal or a Leon Edwards or something of the sort. Even though I think Leon should be next for that shot, he deserves it. He's What more does he need to do at this point? But um, I think that if Thompson wins, he's immediately in that title picture again. And that could be crazy for his legacy. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing how that fight plays out. Because you could simulate it a million times and it'll have some different results every time. Okay. Main event of the evening which I've been going so back and forth with. Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. This is the trilogy fight. Their first fight at featherweight McGregor took relatively easily in the first round. Their second fight uh Poirier got the timing. He got the rhythm. He did everything right. He came in calm, cool, collected came out to the boss by james brown left after knocking out conor mcgregor to the payback which is so crazy and such a gangster move honestly and i have so much respect for that um before the second fight i screamed poirier 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 and not a lot of people listened including myself um I have a betting pool with my friend and I even pick Connor in that fight because all the hype and momentum was on Connor. And then Dustin did what people thought was the unthinkable where he KO'd him in um the UFC. Um we had seen Floyd, you know, TKO him and put Connor kinda out on his feet. Um but we hadn't seen anything like that before, and we hadn't seen Anything the way Dustin had set it up with the strikes where he he got the timing, he got the rhythm and then started finding the holes and areas he was able to punch through and really get in on uh, Connor and make him hurt. And the calf kicks played such a huge role. Um, McGregor was light on that leg for a very long time. This whole week has been crazy because now it seems like we have the old Connor back. And the old motivated Connor is a very scary person, um, and can give anybody a very very hard time on any given occasion. His trash talk is back. He's he said some weird things this week, like knockouts are the only thing that counts in martial arts. So that he's he's nineteen and one in his overall record. That submission losses don't count. Um. I don't know how true that is because we're in mixed martial arts and everything counts. And um I, I, I think that's just his his um attempt to discredit all all the people to um that have finished him in the past because that was a weird thing to say because you know, we saw Nate Diaz get that win over him uh back in twenty sixteen, and then we saw Khabib, uh, a few years later, get that win over him by submission. So you can't suddenly say that that doesn't count in that, and especially because of the fact that Poirier has seven submission wins too. He is 13 by knockout, seven submission, and a bunch by decision. He's He's been around the block with that. So I think that's his attempt to discredit everything. Um, I also didn't like the fact that he said he was training for a Pacquiao camp. Um, a couple of the ways through, because that's just, it's kind of an excuse at this point, looking past Poirier. And if he did look past Poirier, that's shame on him, too, because Dustin Poirier is, in my opinion, the uncrowned king at lightweight. Uh, he's put in the work. He's fought everybody at that. He has two losses at lightweight, one to Michael Johnson in uh, what was his last emotional fight, I would say? There was a lot of talk between him and Michael Johnson. And I think if Dustin fights emotionally, I think that's when he's at his worst. And I don't mean worst as in best in this case. I think that's when he's at his absolute worst as a fighter because then he gets in his head. We saw that with the last Connor fight. he He got in his head and just wanted to hurt him and wasn't thinking technically. But when he thinks technically he's the most dangerous man on the planet, and we've seen that against Jim Miller, we've seen that against Eddie Alvarez twice, um, we've seen that against Justin Gaethje, Just, uh, Justin Gaethje, Justin Gaethje, we saw that against. And we all know how much of a fucking killer Justin Gaethje is, man. That's, that was an absolute war, and he came out on top of that one. And then you see it against Max Holloway, which nobody gave him a chance in the Max Holloway fight. Um he had some success against Khabib. Did he have success? No, but he had some. Um, oh, if he had just pulled guard on that guillotine, what what difference this world could be? Um, and then the Dan Hooker fight, where he went into dark waters, and and, and Dan Hooker's not a guy who's uh, anywhere against going to dark waters with people, and he went into a dark place. He did, but he... Dustin poured it on, and that fight, round two of that fight, was round of the year, for, for sure, last year, for sure. Um, but just an absolute warrior. And then um, Dustin comes back in and does what he does to Connor. Connor on the other side, we all know his MMA accomplishments. He's easily the most famous uh, mixed martial artist on the planet. In the past few years, we've seen less and less of him. And I think that's a huge detriment to what could be uh, a beautiful, beautiful career that he has. We talked about before, ring rust isn't real and all of that. We've seen in Connor that it hurts a, a bit. So he, for, for those who don't really know his timeline, he comes into the UFC on a storm, wins a crazy amount of fights in a row at featherweight, wins the interim belt, uh, with a torn ACL, which I think is just the craziest thing. Then uh, wins one against Chad Mendez when Mendez had him in trouble and had him in bad positions the whole time. Um, and then goes on to sleep Jose Aldo in 13 seconds, which um, I remember watching that and just being shocked shocked that he could do something like that to Jose Aldo, who it was untouched, untouchable at that time. So then he, he rides that hype, goes to lightweight and tries to win a second belt there. Well, first he goes to fight uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, who's the lightweight king at the time, ends up getting the fight against Nate Diaz because RDA has to pull out, Nate Diaz upsets him in the craziest, 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 craziest submission at that time. Um, And then they go on to have their second fight. Connor wins the second fight. End of the year ends up fighting for the lightweight belt against Eddie Alvarez, who's the king at the time. Eddie just looks like a deer in the headlights in that fight. And Connor wins it very easily. And then he kind of disappears from the sport for a little bit. He goes to box Floyd Floyd Mayweather in what was the biggest fight of the year at that time, boxing, MMA, whatever. Makes $100 million off that fight. Probably gets comfortable, I would imagine, right? And then two years almost from the last time he's fought in mixed martial arts, he comes back. He has neither of his belts at this point. And he fights Habib Nurmagomedov, who's the best lightweight that's ever lived, um, gets uh, dominated in most aspects until the third round of the fight, which Connor wins the third round. But then they get into the fourth. Um, he gets a bad, bad, bad neck crank uh, from Khabib the whole fight, uh, thing ensues. And then, you know, previously we had had Connor throwing the dolly and, you know, he's slapping old people in bars, um, in more recent years. So he's not been without controversy, comes back, uh, and fights Cowboy Cerrone, which, um, I think that was the wrong time in Cowboy's career for that fight. Um, but, he comes back and wins relatively easily in about forty seconds. He takes the fight. Since then, we haven't seen much from Cowboy either. And this is this is me saying this is a fan of Cowboy. But since that counter fight, Cowboy's gone zero three. Let's uh, let's be real. The one was a no contest, but or a majority draw. But he lost that fight. He one hundred percent lost that fight and should have lost that fight. Um, and previously he had lost two in a row. So he lost to Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. No shame in losing to either of those. No shame in losing to anyone in the UFC. But, um, so this, this is not a guy. This is a guy who's now at the present time, realistically on a six fight losing streak. And Cerrone had never had a streak that long in his career. Um, he he had a three-fight streak um, went by the time he had fought Darren Till. And that was the largest at the time. He is now on a six-fight losing streak, if we're being realistic. So Cowboy comes back and gets that easily. But now we look back at that win and it's aged so poorly. So what's the proper gauge of where he is? That's what I'm trying to figure out with this fight. At the present time... I'm going to say Dustin wins by third round TKO. And I truly believe that. I think Dustin is a, a man's fighter now. Um, I think he is very ro- well-rounded. I think he knows what he has to do with this Conor fight. I think that's one of the reasons he accepted it. I think the money is definitely a big reason, but... Um, I think that he takes that. I think he knows something now with Connor and I think that's going to benefit him in this fight. I think Connor is definitely going to be a better version of himself, but I don't think that version is going to be enough after all this time. I may eat my words. If so let me say this now. If Connor wins by knockout, I will not be surprised at all. If he wins this fight in any sense, I will not be surprised. Um that's my prediction. Some people will probably be listening to this after the fight comes out. So this is what I'm going to say. This is where I hope either fighter goes. If Dustin wins, if Dustin wins this fight, he has to fight for the title, right? So hopefully he comes out relatively unscathed. They run him and Oliveira by the end of the year. Maybe they do it in New York. Maybe I go to that card. Um, but... uh I that's what's next for him if that happens. If Connor loses, a lot of people think he will retire. If he loses, I think the biggest fight they can do is the Nate Diaz trilogy, and I think that's what they will do. And I think Nate is at the right point in his career for that. At that point, if Connor were to lose, he'd be on a two fight losing streak. I think that's a good point for him to do that because he's not fighting for titles, right? We're not running back him and Jose Aldo now. We're not we're not doing it, especially because Jose's at Bantamweight and he's comfortable and he's happy. Um but I I I hope that's what they do in that scenario. If Connor wins, as much as I wish they would give him a Gaethje, he's gonna fight for the belt. Um, and I think he beats Oliveira in that realm. Um, I may be very wrong, but I think he does. Dustin, at that point, I think he retires. I think he'll have nothing left to do. I think if he's not fighting for gold or for glory, I think he just wants to do his um, foundation. I hope that's not the case. I really, really hope it's not. But I think that um, those are the scenarios for those two. Um, So that's my rundown of UFC 264. I'm very excited for this pay-per-view. I'm very excited to see what goes on and what happens and um, what the outcomes of certain things are because I feel like I'm very wrong on certain ones of these picks. um, But it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great card. It's going to be really awesome. Before I get out of here today, I'm going to talk a little bit more MMA. But people have been giving their mid-year... Um, picks for certain things. And I have a few mid-year things that I wanted to go over. Um, So I went back and I looked over some things on what I think uh, certain categories are at this point in the mid-year. I looked over some really good fights. So I'll give you guys a list of some fights to go over if you are just getting into the UFC or if you have missed some of it this year and want to catch up on certain ones you may have missed. Um, I'll give you some of my best fights of the year so far. But I have a a few categories that I'm going to run down and go through. And I just want to give my opinion as to what I think these people are for mid-year or these things are. So first thing I have is male fighter of the year. My male fighter for the year right now, uh, as it stands in 2021, is Kamaru Usman. Um, And that's for a couple reasons. I think that, and this dates to last year, but I think that moving to um, Trevor Whitman's camp with Team Elevation in Colorado has benefited him uh, exponentially. I think he's become an even better fighter than he was, and I thought he was a great fighter um, before that fact. But you see the fruits of that coming in this year. So Gilbert Burns comes in, who's a former training partner, thinks he knows everything with Usman, and I think if it would have gone to the ground, I think Burns definitely would have submitted him because the fact that uh, Kamaru was so tentative to go to the ground with him showed that he was definitely uh, remembering something or afraid of something. Nah, I'm not afraid of something, but wary of something um, to be happening that's probably happened in the past before. Um, but they go into that fight in February. Uh, Kamaru gets rocked in the beginning, kind of bad, and then comes back and just kind of puts on a master class with leading with his jab and letting the jab work for him and ends up finishing him in the second round, which if you would have looked at the start of that fight, you never would have thought that it could have had that type of outcome or gone that way. But uh, that was a fun fight to watch, and it showed the evolution of his game, right? And then you have the off fight. So you have to connect those two fights, though, right? Because not only did Kamaru uh, take out Gilbert Burns, who was the like, the number one at the time. That was definitely the the guy to get the shot. But he takes him out, and then he gets on the post-fight interview, and he immediately calls out uh, Jorge Masvidal, saying, there's this guy that's been talking a lot of shit about me since the last time we had fought, which they had fought last year in July um, on six days' notice. Um, and Kamaru wrestled him the whole time, and Kamaru got... Um, a lot of grief for that, too, because it was a wrestling-heavy approach, which on six days' notice, I get it. That's what I would do. That's the approach DC took when he fought Anderson Silva at UFC 200. That's that. That's the approach you have to take sometimes, especially on a, a short-notice fight like that. But um, he he got on the post-fight and is saying that you know, Masvidal has been talking a lot, and he's been making a lot of excuses for their last fight and, you know, running his mouth, and he's going to shut him up and do that fight again. And at that point, I thought that was one of the smartest moves he could make because he was. Masvidal was, was saying a lot and talking a lot of shit about him, and immediately Kamaru noticed that, and he said, come on, let's go then. I'll prove this time that I'm the better fighter. And then they go into that fight. Kamaru comes in as a slight favorite. They're in Masvidal's home state of Florida. What does Kamaru Usman do? Kamaru Usman knocks him out in one of the most violent ways I've ever seen someone knock someone out in my entire life. That knockout was one of the most picture-perfect things that you could ever even—you couldn't put that in a movie better but that was the first guy to knock all out. Nobody seen Mosfidal finished like that. Nobody. So not only did he take out the number 1 guy, then call his shot, he then proceeded to back his shit up by uh, not, uh knocking him out cold. Out cold. It was bad. And then used the super necessary line at the post fight press conference. Crazy. Um, But that's where it stands right now. I think that Kamaru's probably going to fight uh, either Colby Covington or Leon Edwards towards the end of the year. That might change his status, but we'll see. Um, If he keeps working the way he's working right now, that is, uh, it's definitely going to be a benefit for him. Who could overtake him for that spot? Dustin Poirier. If Poirier wins against Connor again and then wins the belt at the end of the year. He will 100% be the male fighter of the year. Um, possibly Cyril Gahn, if Cyril Gahn can win his next two. Um, who else? There's a couple of people out there that could, that could definitely overtake that spot. Charles Oliveira. If Charles Oliveira, um, beats the winner of uh Connor Poirier there's there's a very hard uh there's very little case to make against him getting that because he was such an underdog in the Chandler fight and then uh he'll be an underdog going into this fight no matter what I'm sure of that but that's that's good play money if you're listening now and looking ahead towards the future um I I I would say that Kamaru will probably land at that spot but we'll see. We will. We will one hundred percent see. Female fighter of the year. Um. Apple doesn't far uh, fall far from the tree here. I have as Rose Namajunas right now. Um. She's just amazing. Uh. And midway through the year. No one gave her a prayer against Wei Lee, me included. Um. I thought that Wei Lee was going to. Kind of run through her a little bit. I'm. I'm not even gonna lie. And I think that. Rose really has showcased her martial arts. I will never doubt her again. I will always put money on her no matter what, even if she's the biggest underdog on the card. But, um, her coming in and doing what she did in that fight, there's no, there's little case to make against her for that. Walking in and muttering to herself, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Her anxiety, uh, makes her my hero <laughs> because she, uh, She's so anxious previously and prior, no, prior to and post every fight that she has. She's so anxious and she's so. Um, people will say people told me she she cries in the locker room before she cries after. She's very emotional. It's a it's a lot. It's 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 a lot to go into a fight with another human being that that puts so much pressure on you, but. She walks in. I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best, muttering to herself. Goes out and hits Wei Lee with one of the most beautiful switch high kicks I've ever seen. She faked like it was going low, and then it went high, and um, it it was just it was a thing of beauty, honestly. Um, it, it it was just it was it was a wonderful thing. I that was such a good moment. And then her getting the belt wrapped around her and crying and. She's it, that that moment I think about, and it still gives me chills. She's unbelievable, and um, that goes back to uh Pat Berry, her fiance, and her coach, and uh, and Trevor Whitman as well. Trevor Whitman is just uh, he's he's a monster when it comes to coaching, and he's my coach of the year right now too. Um, there will probably be more. Khabib Namagamenoff is up for that now because of um all the guys he's coaching and um is if islam machachev um by the end of the year puts him in a position for a title um who knows it'll it could be probably could end up as like one of the coaches of the year but it's trevor whitman for me right now and it's thug rose nami yunez is my female fighter of the year and i think she defends that belt before the year is up and i don't think anybody's Taking it from her for a little bit, I really don't. She avenged the last loss that she had. She's beat Joanna twice. She's beat Zhang Wei Li. What the fuck, man! Like <laughs> you can't write a better resume. Um, but she's my female fighter of the year. Other contenders: Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is going to be there every year. She's well. She's the goat. She's obviously the goat. Um, Valentina. Let's see what else Valentina can put in this year as far as work. Um, but. It's going to be fun. So far, my newcomer of the year is, and this may be recency bias, but Terrence McKinney. So Terrence McKinney took a fight on a few days' notice uh, before our last pay-per-view, which was UFC 263, and took on Matt, the steamroller Favola, who's uh, an absolute killer, and proceeded to knock him out in eight seconds. Eight seconds. Gets the call, had fought. Uh, on a card ten days earlier, got the call, said yes, jumped in. And his story is crazy. If you look into Terrence McKinney's story, he was he was a kid who was um, on drugs all the time and had no direction. And it it uh, it changed him as a person. And now he leans into fighting. And I and I love the story behind it. Um, I also think in this category, I think Umar Namagametoff will be up there. He's um he's at bantamweight right now. Um, And, again, he's one of the ones Khabib is coaching. Um, I think he's a contender for that, but we'll see as the year goes. But Terrence McKinney right now is my newcomer of the year um, based on the impact he made so quickly. Um, My knockout of the year right now, I debated with this one because there have been a couple of good ones. So you have Derek Lewis knocking out Curtis Blaze, which was scary. Um, you have Corey Sandhagen with that knee he hit Frankie Edgar with, which, oh, God, I, I I hate watching that one. Frankie's one of my favorites. Um, you have Kamaru Usman, like I mentioned before, um, with him knocking out Jorge Masvidal. You could throw Francis Ngannou knocking Stipe Miocic out um, to get his first heavyweight title in there as, as a big one. Um, but my knockout of the year right now, is Yuri Prohaska over Dominic Reyes with that insane, insane, insane uh, elbow that he hit him with. And that was, if you haven't seen that fight, go back and at least watch that knockout because he, Yuri gets him in a position where he's against the fence and Yuri throws an elbow and misses but then the other elbow comes behind it, almost like that first one was a distraction, and the way it hit and the way um, Dominic Reyes fell, um, it was it was just insane. And you don't see many like that, so th- so that's why I put that up there is the uniqueness of the of the knockout because I had never seen anything like that before. And um, shout out my cousin Vince and my cousin Steve and whoever else was up there that night. But we were watching up at my cabin when that happened, and we all kind of had the same reaction in the room where we were like, holy shit, we can't believe we just saw that. Um, I will stand firm on my stance that Yuri Prohaska is going to be lightweight champion by the end of the year. I, um, I think that it's a good thing that Israel didn't win the belt at light heavyweight. Because he would have been knocked out violently by this guy. Uh and that's just that's not even a knock on Izzy. That's just I think Yuri goes in to just violently finish anybody that he fights. He has like 25 wins by knockout or something crazy like that. Um, but that's my knockout of the year so far. The others I mentioned are good contenders. Uh, but that is where I stand at this point. My submission of the year uh, is I went back and forth on this one too, but the the other contender I have for this, um, you'll find later too. I, there were some really good ones that I forgot about this year. Randy Brown over Alex Oliveira, I thought was a great submission. Um, recently you saw, uh, Paul Craig, even though it wasn't really a submission, but he, uh, he had uh Jamal Hill in that armbar that dislocated his arm. uh dislocated his whole elbow it was so nasty um but my submission of the year right now is Andre Muniz over um or Muno- Munoz Muniz Munoz um but either way um his submission win over Jacare Souza um a couple of UFCs ago at UFC 262. Um that was just the craziest. So I, I I put the significance on that of we had never seen um we, we had never seen Jacare submitted before, first of all. Even in in Jiu-Jitsu, we we had rarely ever seen that. In fact, there's a famous story of him tucking his broken arm into his gi. Uh, in order to keep fighting Muniz. Yeah. I should have Andre Muniz. Yeah. I don't know why I doubted myself. Um, but that was, um, so significant. And then the fact that he just snapped his arm like a, like a tree trunk and you can just hear it when it happened. Um, it was disgusting. It was significant. Um, I went back and forth between this and um, another award I'll give later, but I thought the other one was um, was a little better. Actually, it'll be the next one that I do, but uh, but this one fit more into the category. So Andre Muniz over Jacare Souza is my submission of the year as it stands. My upset of the year is Anthony Fluffy Hernandez over Hadolfo Vieira. Um, which I struggled with submission over the year because Anthony Hernandez submitted him. This is so significant because Vieira is a jiu-jitsu world champion, and no one gave uh, Hernandez a prayer in that fight, especially in the first round when you have Vieira running running over him with submissions and thinking it's just going to be a matter of time. But Hernandez stayed cool and collected, and Hadolfo gassed faster than anybody I've ever seen in my whole life um and hernandez ends up getting the submission victory out of it so not only did he upset it but he also it, the the odds of him submitting him were so low so 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 low that you have to give that credit as as the upset of the year for for those reasons um that's definitely a fight i would watch my fight of the year so far this has been hard for me um, I went and looked through all of my favorite fights for this year. Uh, Max Holloway and Calvin Cater is up there as one of my favorites, but that is, that's a dominant fight. And um, I, I don't put that into fight of the year because I feel like it has to be a little bit more back and forth. Um, A couple of, of other good ones that I was thinking of, Kennedy and Zachiku versus Carlos Alberg, which was crazy. It was just a slugfest until Alberg got finished. Um... Charles Jourdain versus Marcelo Rojo. I um, really enjoyed. Uh, that was back in March, I believe. March, I believe that happened, yeah. Um, Vicente Luque versus Tyron Woodley, which is my round of the year so far. I think that's a great fight that you could go back and watch. Um, again, Yuri Prohaska and Dominic Reyes. Gregor Gillespie versus Carlos Diego Ferreira is one of my favorites so far. Diego Ferreira. Um that was a grappling masterpiece. Um but my fight of the year so far is Edson Barboza versus Shane Burgos. That fight was an absolute war from beginning to end. Um and Edson was touching him up a lot of that time, but um in the end Burgos was also landing back and landing really hard and making him wait. And the way the finish happened was was something out of a movie too, almost like the falling back and the stepping back from uh, Burgos and Barbosa end up getting the finish. Uh, that's my fight of the year so far. I I don't think much are getting crazier than that. Um, I think Dustin and Connor this weekend has potential to be fight of the year. Um, another close contender is Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler for me, um, because that fight was so back and forth, but um, the lack of certain activity, um, for me, kind of took it out of it. That may fall back in there, um, but we'll see. The year is still uh, is still young, it's still very, very young. But those are my picks right now for my mid-year awards. Um, if you've made it this far, I have a, uh, a big announcement for the episode next week. So I am very, very excited for episode 20. It's kind of a milestone episode for us. We are in the 20s. I'm almost catching up to my age. Oh, my God. Um, But my best friends, Steve for Cheese and Texas Dave, are back next week. They are coming back. And as a special treat, we have ordered the the season 15 pack of the Hot Ones Hot Sauces. And we will be getting chicken wings. And we will be doing the challenge on the podcast next week. So we'll be talking a lot of shit like we normally do. Normal, nerdy stuff, things like that. Matt will be back. My producer, which I am very, very excited about. Um, Jimmy Renda from a few weeks ago is probably going to sit in with us. I don't know how much he'll talk, but he will be here. It is going to be a great time. We are going to absolutely die. I am not looking forward to this by any means necessary. But we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to see if we can film it and maybe get some exclusives for a Patreon. But look forward to the episode next week because it is going to be a blast. And I'm so excited to have them back. I had told them um, I was going to have them back collectively for episode 20. They've been back since, uh, but it'll be a great time. Thank you for bearing with me through this week's episode. I know it was a lot of me monologuing and you having to listen to my voice uh, for the past hour and 15 minutes, which I can't believe I want that long talking like this. But I appreciate all the support as always. You guys are so awesome and I'm so thankful for every listener I have on this show and you make it so worthwhile and um, so wonderful every week. So thank you for that. Um, please check out our network at bicbp-radio.net to check us out. Um, We also are on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter now, our network page, so make sure you follow that to get updates on all of our podcasts. Follow my podcast on Facebook at Average Ordinary Pod. Um, You could follow it on Twitter at Average Ord Pod, on Instagram as Average Ordinary Pod, and just subscribe, review, leave whatever you would like to for the show. Again, I am so thankful for the support I get from everybody for this. Until next week, have a safe week. Take care of your mental health. I hope for some sunshine in your area, wherever you are, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 75 yards. All right, we could do this thing. I believe in each and every one of you. But real quick Did you guys know that the Two Point Conversation podcast runs five days a week, Monday through Friday, with various co hosts and different themes every day? And then you can listen to them on BICVP radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify? So what's the play? Just, all right, just. Come on, hurry up. Get to the line and just run, and I will get it to somebody, all right? Come on, on three. Ready. Sit. Mother. Delay of game. Offense.